Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie Hale, your host, and with me in studio is Archbishop Alexander Sample. In this program, we're going to discuss Eucharistic coherency (laughs) and talk a little bit about fully living out our Catholic faith is what we believe how we live our daily lives. And with that, Archbishop, please help us start with prayer. Indeed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we know that our topic uh, this evening is is a complex one, is a difficult one for many people to, to grasp and to understand. And, and quite honestly, Father, we know it's difficult for many to, to embrace this teaching. And so we ask your special grace and blessing upon this message. We ask you to anoint our lips so that we will speak only what is true and to speak it always in love. We also ask you, Father, to anoint the ears of our listeners that they may have open hearts and minds to receive the truth spoken in love, which is from you. So we place this time, Father, in your hands, asking you to lead us and guide us. All these things we ask, as always, through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Archbishop, I know recently you had endorsed and encouraged us to look at a pastoral letter that was written by Archbishop from San Francisco, Corleone, Mm -hmm. and it's called, Before I Formed You in the Womb, I Knew You. And this is really talking about receiving Holy Eucharist and the respect and dignity of all human life and the role of public Catholics right. in receiving the Holy Eucharist, and I know some of our listeners are aware of this uh, letter, um, but why is this letter at this time, this week the bishops will be gathering, you'll be gathering for the spring assembly where there will be many things discussed, including this idea of receiving the Eucharist and how we live out our lives fully. Exactly. In fact, it, it, it occurs to me as, as this broadcasts the first time, mm-hmm. uh, it will be on the eve of, of the bishops' meeting, the June bishops' meeting, but as it rebroadcasts on the weekend, the meeting will be over with, so between the first broadcast yeah. and the repeats, a lot is going to happen, and uh, I wish I could be there to give you all a, a, an immediate update uh, on, on all of this. But, you know, the idea of Eucharistic coherency is, is a terminology that's being thrown around right now a lot. Um, I shouldn't say thrown around, but it's, it's being discussed. And what do we mean by that? Well, you, you kind of touched on it, Dina Marie, but it's, it goes a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. And, and so let's, let's just back up a little bit mm-hmm. and, and talk about the reception of Holy Communion and our worthiness to receive Holy Communion. Because we, I'm afraid, are in a time when many, many Catholics, and quite honestly, uh, uh, some Catholics that I've talked to have been very surprised by, by what they think the church teaches, mm-hmm. or maybe just what they themselves decide to believe about the Eucharist and the worthiness to receive Holy Communion. So let's let's ta- let's start there. 
certainly uh, on one level, none of us are worthy to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in holy communion. Who who could be worthy to to receive uh, God himself into our soul? So uh, in a sense, you know, we're all unworthy, but God in his mercy transcends our own unworthiness uh, in his generosity, in his mercy, in his love for us, in his desire to unite himself to us in that holy communion that overpowers our own sense of unworthiness and our own actual unworthiness as as, as human beings. You know, so that's why I, I, I love the presentation of our Lord in the Eucharist before we receive Holy Communion. You know, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the Supper of the Lamb. And our response, of course, will be in the centurion's response from from the Gospels. O Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, Mm -hmm. and my soul shall be healed. In other words, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, into my home, into my house, into the house of my body, into my soul. But you speak the word, and and it'll be all right, you know, uh, because you want to come to me. But in order to receive the Holy Eucharist, we do, in a sense, need to be worthy in this sense, that we we are free from any consciousness of being in a state of mortal sin. What do we mean by that? Well, if, if I am aware, if I'm conscious and aware that I have committed a mortal sin and therefore have deprived myself of the gift of sanctifying grace and have broken, in a sense, in a grave way, my, my, my relationship with the Lord through, through grave sin, then I am not in a state to be able to receive him in Holy Communion. And I need to be reconciled with him first before I am able to receive him again in sacramental communion. And I, I think that it's, it's important that we remember, this doesn't mean that God stops loving us, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think as people get really weird and strange and confused ideas around all of this, it isn't that when we commit a mortal sin that God stops loving us and he's angry with us and he does wants nothing to do with us. No, it's not that at all. God always is present to us, loving us, and, and offering us the gift of his mercy and compassion and forgiveness. But on our side of the relationship, we have done something to gravely damage that relationship, in fact, to sever the relationship. So we're not in a position in the relationship to, to receive our Lord in Holy Communion until we have been reconciled with him. It would be a lie, in other words. Mm-hmm. To approach the Lord in Holy Communion and to say, Lord, I'm in full communion with you. I, I, I want to receive you. I want to I wanna, you know, be your disciple. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in good relationship with you. I'm in a good friendship. In other words, it's pretend as if, if, if that's nothing happened. It'd be like, I, I, I sometimes think of this, uh, you know, it'd be like if a husband did something to gravely hurt and offend his wife. And I know this is going to be maybe a, a little bit too too much for some people, but if a man has done something to gravely harm an image his wife, uh, uh, the image of his wife, or hurt the relationship, hurt her deeply in such a way that 
that there's really been kind of a separation in that relationship. It's been it's it's such a serious matter. And then for for uh, the husband to go on and pretend as if nothing happens has happened that he's not done this to his wife, and then expect to enter into intimate relations with her as if nothing's happened. No. Uh, you know, he can't pretend that he and his wife are in that kind of a, a state of communion because he's got some, he's has to repair the relationship first. He has to ask forgiveness and, and be reconciled to his wife before they would, you know, engage in, in that kind of intimacy. And I know it's, again, maybe a little too graphic for some people, but it, I think we should look at it in, in a certain sense in that kind of a light that I've done something so gravely to offend our Lord through mortal sin, that I can't pretend that everything's all right and that I can just go on as if nothing has happened and I sort of abuse that relationship by receiving him in Holy Communion. In fact, if I receive Holy Communion, knowing that I am in a state of mortal sin, Mm -hmm. knowing that I should not receive Holy Communion without being reconciled, I commit another sin of sacrilege against the sacrament. You know, as St. Paul says, we eat the body and blood of the Lord unworthily. So uh, that, that's where this all starts. Now, you know, just briefly, what is a mortal sin? Well, it's, it's something that is gravely sinful to begin with. So objectively, apart from my knowledge of that or apart from my freedom in, in committing the act, the act itself is gravely wrong, gravely wrong. It, it's, a, it's a very serious sin. Number two, we know it is. Mm-hmm. We know it's a grave sin. We know it's seriously wrong. And number three, we give our full consent to the will. And, and engage in, in that action it, it itself. Knowing it's wrong and being free, we choose to do it anyway. That's, that's a mortal sin. Obviously, things like murder, things like abortion. Mm-hmm. Even though, and I think some people are surprised to learn, deliberately missing Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation through uh, your own fault, that's a grave sin. Yeah. And you should not be receiving Holy Communion until you're reconciled. You know, and I, obviously people don't know this because we here at, at Easter and Christmas, we, our churches are filled with people who haven't been to church maybe since the last uh, Easter or the last Christmas, uh, and yet they, they, they don't think there's anything wrong with them you know, coming up and receiving Holy Communion. Well, no, you've, just, you know, you've been a year or six months or whatever it's been out of relationship with the Lord at the Mass that needs to be repaired. Mm-hmm. You know, you've offended our Lord. So that's where this all begins, uh, so that those who are conscious of, of grave sin should not approach, uh, must not approach mm-hmm. Holy Communion without being first reconciled in the sacrament of penance and, and reconciliation. But there's another aspect to this, and that is the public nature of grave sins. I mean, let's face it, thankfully, for, for most human beings, when we commit a mortal sin, there would be very few that would know about it. And we might be the only one who knows about it, uh, except maybe for our confessor when we finally do go to, to be reconciled. But usually, you know, when, when people engage in, in serious sinful actions, you know, it's a very limited number of people who know that, uh, if, if, if any. But then there, there are sins that are, are, are scandalous because they're public. They're very public. For example, you know, and, and in not so much in this country, but in, in other countries, in, in the country of Italy, quite honestly, you know, the, the, and this is not a slur 
believe me, against my beloved uh, Italian brothers and sisters, having lived in Rome for two years, I have a great love and affection for, for Italy and, and for the people there. But there is organized crime in, in Italy, and there is the mafia in, in Italy. And, you know, some of those, the, the mafia bosses are very well known to be so. They're very publicly known as, as mafioso. And they're known to be whatever, murderers, uh, drug dealers, prostitution rings, whatever. So they're very public sinners. Everybody knows who they are and they know what they've done. And so it would be wrong for that person to be admitted to Holy Communion in the church because of the grave scandal. So there's a canon in the church's law, Canon 915, which addresses this, this, this issue of who should not be admitted to Holy Communion. And, and I want to make this distinction, and it's very important. It's a very subtle but important distinction. In the first case that I mentioned, and we, we talked about leading into this, it's the person themselves who are aware of being in a state of mortal sin and therefore should need to be reconciled in confession before receiving again Holy Communion, to be worthy to receive Holy Communion. That's a private affair. In the second case, we're talking about a sin that is very public. And the canon that I'm talking about, Canon 915, which is much in the news these days and much in, in debate even among the bishops, states that, that one who obstinately, the canon reads, who obstinately persists in manifest grave sin is not to be admitted to Holy Communion. So in the first case, it's a person who's aware of mortal sin should not approach the sacrament. Mm -hmm. In other words, if I'm in a state of mortal sin, I must not approach Holy Communion. And that's a decision I make, okay, uh, not, not to receive Holy Communion because I know I'm not worthy right now and I need to be reconciled. But that's my decision not to go. In the second case, we're talking about who the church will not admit to Holy Communion. In other words, basically refusing mm -hmm. uh, the, the sacrament of Holy Communion to a person who obstinately persists in manifest grave sin. Now, those are the pieces there that need yeah. to, be, to be looked at very carefully. So there's an obstinacy here. Mm -hmm. uh, so somebody has been warned Somebody has been uh, reconciled or, or attempt to be reconciled. Somebody has been spoken with. Somebody, there's been a pastoral outreach. Uh, there's been a warning maybe even or maybe even a canonical warning. In other words, the, the, the person has been approached, has been tried to be corrected, but is obstinate mm -hmm. and refuses to, to change their ways. All right? So there's an obstinacy here. That's the first thing. Persists. All right, this means the action is ongoing, all right? It's not a one-time act uh, that somebody, you know, committed, and we don't know if they've gone to confession and, you know, and, and been reconciled. No, it's a persistent action. In other words, it's continuing. So in our, in our example of the, of the mafia boss, his, his bishop, his pastor has warned him. He's ignored all of that. He's ignored the gospel. He's ignored the teachings of the church, and he's persisting in, in what he's doing. So it's, it's ongoing, okay? It's manifest, okay? In other words, it's known, mm -hmm. okay? It's known. Everybody knows it. It's public. 
It's a public, there's a public nature to it. Not that, not like the private sins that many of us commit, but this is, there's a public nature to this and it's grave. It's a grave sin. So in other words, it's something very serious, uh, something gravely wrong that the church, uh, would consider a mortal sin if done with full knowledge and full consent of the will. So again, there's an obstinacy. The mm-hmm. person will not reform. Uh, it's uh, it's persistent. They're they're persisting in the sin. They're continuing the sin. It's manifest. Everybody knows it, and it's a grave matter. Well, then that person, according to the law of the church, this canon is here for a reason. Is not to be admitted to holy communion. In other words, is to be refused holy communion. Now I know that upsets some people. And it, I, I, can, I can tell you right now, it angers some people. But this is the law and this is the tradition mm-hmm. of the church. And it's scriptural. As I said earlier, St. Paul says, he who eats the body of the Lord and drinks his blood unworthily, drinks it unto his own condemnation. We have to be worthy to receive the sacrament. And what the church is doing here in Canon 915, in proposing to refuse a holy communion to someone who obstinately persists in manifestly mm-hmm. grave sin is to prevent scandal. Yeah. This is the issue. It's scandalous to think that somebody on the one hand can do something very gravely, seriously, sinfully wrong and publicly and at the same time march up in the communion line as if nothing's wrong. And when the church allows that, when the church allows that, mm-hmm. it creates a, a scandal for others. And what is a scandal? I mean, a scandal comes from the word, the, the, the root of that word means a, a stone over, over which one trips. We cause somebody else to trip in their own faith. So we basically communicate to others, well, I guess that's not a big deal. I guess that's not a grave sin. Or I guess maybe the Eucharist isn't as important as we think. In other words, it, it, it causes a scandal to lead others to believe, well, okay, I guess I can be a good Catholic and do these things. Mm-hmm. So I can be a good Catholic and be a mafia boss. I can be a good Catholic and oversee murders and drug deals and prostitution because, wow, I mean, the church doesn't seem to mind over here because we know this guy you know, is, is a mafia boss. We know he does this all the time. But look, he goes to Mass every Sunday and he marches up to communion and his pastor gives him communion. So, hey. There must not be a, all that big a deal. So, so that's, that's the issue here in, in these two distinct cases. The person who does, should not approach Holy Communion because of their own conscience burdened by mortal sin needing to be reconciled, but that's a decision they make not to approach the sacrament because mm-hmm. they know they shouldn't. They're not worthy in this moment. They need to be reconciled, heal the relationship first, versus those who, who are very public in their sinfulness and should not be admitted to Holy Communion. And that's a decision that the church makes, the church's minister makes, not to administer the sacrament to them. And of course, that then involves in our own day the life issue. That does. And Archbishop, as you really explain this, we're talking about personal responsibility. And for so many of our shows, we've talked about how do I prepare to receive the sacraments? Certainly for our friends who have come into the church through the RCIA process, there's a preparation and really discerning, am I ready 
to fully say yes to all of the teachings of the church and have that time of confession and to really look at my life and to see where am I going to change in order to really conform to the love. This is not a a rule that is in some sort of restriction. This is about the love of God, the life of God we're talking about. And then when you talk about one who is at a public place, in, in in a place that's making decisions for others in a leadership role, in a secular or in a religious community, uh, the church needs to be involved. Our pastors and, and the bishop, archbishops, need to be involved in terms of how do we facilitate when something is leading people astray? And and so this week, the bishops will be yes. gathering many different things you'll be talking about. But this is critical absolutely, absolutely. to how we show the public, how we show other Catholics um, do we truly believe in the true presence of Jesus Christ? We just celebrated Corpus Christi, the most beautiful feast of the body and blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. He is present. Um, what's on your heart as you come together? Yeah. Well, it's it's you know yes, we are going to be. This is this is uh, this is on the the front pages, so to speak, in the yeah. Catholic world. This this question, this issue, which is before the bishops, in terms of the application of Canon 915 that I just was quoting about those who manifestly or obstinately persist in manifest grave sin, because this is touching upon Catholic politicians who advocate for evils in public policy, and the evil of greatest concern is the preeminent issue for the U.S. bishops, as we said in our in our document on faithful yeah. citizenship leading up into the last election, is the abortion issue. The abortion issue is a grave matter. It is the taking of an innocent human life. No matter what stage of, of gestation the child is at, <clears throat> whether it's newly conceived life or whether it's in the last month of, of pregnancy before birth. Every human life is sacred and every human life must be protected. And the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable of all human life is the child in the womb. No one is more vulnerable than that unborn child. We can talk about the poor. We can talk about immigrants. We can talk about refugees, certainly, and they're all of of great dignity, and we need to be concerned about those issues too. But there is no life more vulnerable, more fragile, Mm -hmm. more in danger, quite honestly, than the unborn child in the womb. It's a grave, grave matter. And do we really believe that? That's, That's the question. Do we really believe that? And do politicians really believe that? And do our Catholic politicians really believe that? Mm-hmm. It's a grave, grave evil abortion is. We have Catholic politicians, and I will not name names here because I don't want this to become political, although many are already going to say it's political, but we all know who we're talking about. And I'm not talking about a single person. We have Catholic politicians who not only have taken a position which they used to take and say, well, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I don't want to impose my will, my religion on others. We have to respect the law. We have to respect the precedent of Roe versus Wade. We're beyond that now. We have Catholic politicians who are not just accepting abortion, 
but are actively promoting it and is and promoting its expansion and by the 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 flick of a pen thousands of lives are destroyed the undoing of the mexico city policy has now federal funded abortions overseas so when you have catholic politicians who are not just passively accepting but are actively promoting and expanding abortion rights who are actively promoting the expansion of the killing of unborn children in the womb. That is a grave matter. And so when you talk about those who obstinately persist in manifest grave sin, they are not to be admitted to Holy Communion. And so there's a need to be a pastoral outreach to these politicians to correct them, to call them to task as shepherds of the church, as pastors of the church, out of a care for their soul. It's, a, it's out of concern for their own salvation. I wouldn't want to, I've got enough to answer for in my own life, but I sure wouldn't want to stand before the Lord of heaven and earth and the author of life and defend that kind of a position. So part of it is to bring about the reform of, of the offender. But if not, if they persist and it's manifest, it's obvious, it's public, and it's grave, then the church you know, is, is saying by her own law and discipline around the sacraments, this person should not be admitted to Holy Communion. So that's the issue on the table before the bishops this week. And so I ask really the prayers of all of the faithful that the Holy Spirit guide the bishops in their discussions and deliberations. We're debating, what we're basically debating is whether to proceed with the production of a document, the writing of a document mm-hmm. on this issue on Eucharistic coherence and to remind our people of, of the need to be in that proper state of soul and heart uh, when we approach the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. We're not approving any document at this mm-hmm. meeting. There's no text before us. There's only an outline. But the bishops will be deciding whether to proceed with the writing of such a document, which would go through its normal uh, amendment and, and, and modification process. Uh, so pray for us. We've got uh, yes. a lot of work on our, on our plate the, this week. Well, let's continue to pray. And I do want to direct our listeners, if you want to read that pastoral letter, and I've been reading it from Archbishop Cordelioni in the womb.org. It's a real simple website to get to, but it will help explain all of these different pieces of the puzzle. So if you want to just have some meditation, pray for our bishops, Pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit and pray for St. Joseph to be one who will intercede to protect our church, to bring about unity, and to really continue to promote the respect and dignity of all human life. We'll pray for this week for you, Archbishop, and would you help us close in prayer? May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families, your loved ones, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of the Shepherd on Mater Dei Radio. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. 
Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you.